You're listening to The Alligator Podcast, a podcast where the independent Florida alligator, the largest student newspaper in the country, discusses our latest stories on the University of Florida, Gainesville, and beyond. Subscribe and tune in weekly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud to hear our latest episodes on news, sports, and much more. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at The Alligator, as well as find all of our latest stories at alligator.org. Welcome to the Alligator Podcast. I am your host, Graham Marsh. This is the news section of the podcast. And today we have a very interesting story that we get to retell. Um, the story is already up on alligator.org, but we are joined today by Peyton Whittington, the writer of the story. And uh, Peyton, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you are actually our first guest that is not officially on Alligator staff. Um, so go ahead and talk a little bit about that and how you got involved with contributing for the alligator and how you got involved with specifically writing this story. Sure. Um, well, first, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this story today. Um, but my name is Peyton. I'm a graduate of the U.S. College of Journalism and Communications, um, class of 2020. I am interested in narrative nonfiction long-form human interest writing, which is exactly what this story is about. Um, and the story that came out on uh, Memorial Day is um, about the, the Café Risqué and uh, a few people who work there and their stories, um, you know, how they got into dancing, what dancing means to them um, and their livelihood. Uh, just um, an honest, accurate portrayal is what I was going for of the place and the people who work there. Um, really quickly, before we get into the story, where can you be found on social media and where can your stories be found? So you can find me on Twitter at Peyton M as in Mary, Wit W-H-I-T-T, Peyton M. Witt. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at Peyton.Whittington. And you can access my online portfolio at PeytonWhittington.com. Awesome. So uh, did you start contributing for The Alligator before you graduated? Yeah, I've actually only done a few stories for The Alligator, so I'm not <laughs> the most experienced alligator reporter, but I, I thought The Alligator would be a great venue for this story. Absolutely. Um, so let's get to it. Um, you spent a year covering this story. Yeah. Um, so really quickly, give us like a kind of two to three minute synopsis. Obviously, we know it's about Cafe Risque, but kind of what it's specifically about. Um, and then tell us a little bit about the reporting and the time it took, maybe some of the hurdles you had to jump, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. So I <laughs> I definitely didn't anticipate it being a year-long project, but that's what it took for it to be the story that it is today. So I wouldn't have had it been any longer or shorter. So um, I started this uh, last year in Professor Moni Basu's um, magazine and feature writing course. It was originally supposed to be uh, something turned in for a profile story assignment, 
Uh, just like a lot of people who have been tweeting me about the story, um, saying that, you know, this is a curiosity I've always had when I pass by and see the billboards, um, you know, and now that curiosity is satisfied, that's the same curiosity I had. I was like, you know, the people who work there probably have really interesting, important stories to tell. And I've never seen those stories in any news outlet ever before. So um, Cherry was the first person I ever reached out to. She was my initial primary contact since day one. Um, and, you know, of course, I can't just waltz in there and be like, hey, I'm a reporter. I want to hear about your life story on the timeline of a semester-long course that was not going to happen. So I, I realized I wasn't, you know, going to be able to build trust with her on the timeline of the course. So I was like, hey, I'm going to write about someone else for this profile assignment, but I really want to keep in touch with you. Um, and I want this story to grow into something bigger and better. She was like, okay. Um, so I, yeah, I just kept persisting and, you know, just sitting there, yeah, having hash browns, um, letting people see my face and get to know me. Um, that was sort of my reporting strategy, I guess, is just being there a lot. <laughs> so people are familiar with me. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. Keep going. Yeah, I just wanted to say that, uh, yeah, I did face a few hurdles. I was kicked out at one point, which I explain um, in the article. And, of course, coronavirus has thrown off everybody's lives. So that was um, that was a hurdle with this story. But, yeah, that, that's it. That's my reporting. <laughs> so uh, really quickly, um, tell us. Who is Cherry? Kind of give us a basic uh, overview of who she is. And you've kind of sort of talked about your connection and how she was your person from day one. Um, what does Cherry do there? Uh, what's her like official role? What's her official job title? Um, and as you got to know her more, what did you kind of see her more overall significance was to the place? So Cherry is the club's hiring manager. Um, she manages the entertainment. If you want to work for the cafe as a dancer, you will definitely come in contact with Cherry. Um, she also runs a lot of the daily operations, um, you know, making sure everything's flowing smoothly during the daytime at the cafe. Um, and I talk about this in the story, but a lot of a lot of clubs have what's known as a house mom who's just sort of there for the dancers to um you know do do their makeup or you know give give them a snack just sort of care for them in that way um and the cafe doesn't have that but cherry is probably the closest thing to that um she's making sure everything's flowing smoothly everyone's you know working happy and uh, everything is going good at the cafe. Um, so super quickly before we sort of get into the more heavy details of the story, um, tell us about uh, coronavirus and COVID-19 and how that has impacted Cafe Risque, because obviously it's hurt local business. I mean, it's hurt any business, but especially local business anywhere. And Cafe Risque is no exception. And you talk about that in the story. So to those that haven't read, um, kind of tell us a little bit more about what it's done to its business and what it might mean for the future. 
Yeah, so um, I, I didn't know about this until I heard it from Cherry and the owner, Asher Sullivan, but um, they applied for a loan through the Small Business Administration. Um, the SBA provides financial support for entrepreneurs and small businesses, and they've get, been given emergency funding to dole out during COVID-19. And uh, the SBA actually had language in their policies excluding businesses of a prurient sexual nature from receiving these loans. So the cafe was initially denied for a loan, um, but they actually participated in a lawsuit um, on May 11th, and a federal judge in Eastern Michigan ruled that this, this wording, this prurient sexual nature, billing couldn't keep businesses in the adult entertainment industry from receiving their emergency loans. Um, so they're they're now eligible to receive one. They haven't received one yet. But, um, yeah. So there, there's been a lot going on with them uh, right now. So as a reporter, I'm curious because I'm kind of looking at this timeline and. What day did the story get published? That was on Monday, May 25th. Yeah, so literally we're, we're recording this um, May 26th, uh, but it's going to go out tomorrow, May 27th. But the story was published May 25th, right? It goes front page of the paper. Um, it obviously goes out online. And you said that lawsuit was May 11th, right? Right. And you talked about the lawsuit in the story. So what was that like? I mean, I'm sure you're you've been spending over a year on this. You're pretty much to the point of wrapping things up. You're just about done with the story. And then all of a sudden this happens. How do you kind of squeeze that into the last little bit of reporting? Because you obviously have to talk about stuff like that. You can't just leave that out when you've been covering this, when you've been covering Cafe Risque for this long. Um, like that's a big deal. So what was it like catching? How did you catch word of that, first of all? Um, and then how did you kind of get that at the last minute? Yeah, so I actually found out about that lawsuit um, through an article written by the Gainesville Sun. So props to the Gainesville Sun's reporting on that. Um, and I was like, oh, man, I really need to reach out again and include this because that's you know such an important ruling for, for businesses like the cafe to be able to to have access to that funding during this uncertain time. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't so hectic as it sounds because, you know, the, the rest of the stories took a very, very long time to develop and get reported. And this was just sort of a new development, more of a, uh, you know, newsy, uh, give, give a brief on what happened type thing. Um, but I definitely wanted to include it because... I, I think it gives context um, because right now, you know, in quarantine, we're all we're all missing our friends and family. We're missing human interaction and and intimacy. And I think that really gives context to the story and uh, and the services that the women of the cafe provide. Yeah. So, um, moving forward, I, I kind of want to. But what, what I love about this story is I love that you you organize it super well into kind of breaking down each person that you talk to person by person, you get their story, you go in depth. Um, and there's a lot there, but it's not like confusing. Like it all makes sense and it's very easy to follow. Um, 
and you kind of transition from person to person and it tells the reader, okay, this is when we're moving to this. This is when we're moving to this. Um, mm -hmm. So that said, uh, one of my favorite parts about the story, and I kind of want to get your take on this, is I like how throughout the entire story, I feel like I'm right next to you as you're doing all this stuff. Right? right. Like as you come into the cafe for the first time, you know, literally your lead says the first time I pulled up to Cafe Risque, I was nervous, not about seeing the dancers or the clients or the club itself, but about the prospect of getting to know this place and telling its story. I sat in the parking lot in my 2011 Toyota Camry, surrounded by pickup trucks and 18 wheelers. I stared at the club's facade, plastered with sun bleached posters of the cafe's favorite it girls in lacy thongs and bustiers. That, well, uh, like, like just reading that, like I'm there in the parking lot. <laughs> like I know what's going on. The the part about pickup trucks and eighteen wheelers is very accurate for Central Florida. Like <laughs> I can one hundred percent see a twenty eleven Camry being by far the smallest car there and sticking out yeah. like a sore thumb. <laughs> but you can my mom for that bit, because my mom is my first and greatest editor. And she's like, You need to play up your little family four-door sedan outside of the yeah. club she thought that was just hilarious so that's, oh, that's yeah all. no i love that like from from the beginning i was like all right like i'm in like i i already want to read about the person that owns the 2011 camry in the midst <laughs> of a bunch of 18 wheelers and pickups yes well um, i'm not that interesting <laughs> yeah so uh so again like like you've talked about and like i've said uh you, you start with Cherry, and then you move along with other dancers at the club, and you get to really know them, and you get to really know who they are as a person. Um, really quickly, just so it makes sense, um, kind of explain how um, your sources went by their names to protect their privacy. Right. So everyone in the story is identified by their stage names, and that's simply for their privacy and protection, you know, due to the sensitive nature of their work. So that's how all of them wanted to be identified. Right. So um, you've already talked about Cherry a little bit, and, and I, I'm glad that you went ahead and mentioned her because I definitely got the sense that, and you, you've said it straight up, but I definitely got the sense that she was kind of your person going through this whole thing. Um, she was the one, she was your go-to, like, hey, I need to talk to this person, I need to talk to this person. She was mm -hmm. that person for you. Um, but something before we move away from Cherry that I thought that you mentioned that I that I really enjoyed was um, how you said that Cherry made you feel safe. Um, mm -hmm. And you could tell that by her making you feel safe that she definitely made the dancers feel safe. Um, Kind of elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, so Cherry, she's, you know, every reporter hopes for that one person in a story who will just, like, take them by the hand and be like, I'm going to introduce you to this person and this person, and you really want to talk to this person, you know, someone who can sort of um, walk them through the the place and the story, and she was definitely that for me. Um but yeah, I, I said in the story that she's she's not exactly motherly, but she does have this sort of protective energy, I think, is what I picked up on. And that's what 
definitely I heard from all the other women I spoke to. Yeah. So speaking of some of the other women that you spoke to, let's move forward to Scarlett. Um, I was, I was intrigued with Scarlett because she was enrolled at UF. Um, mm -hmm. You don't, you know, when I think when people picture Cafe Risque at first, they know that it's in close proximity to UF, but you don't associate the two together, right? Like you don't think normally of UF students that eventually work at Cafe Risque, but Scarlett obviously breaks that mold. Um, and your, your first paragraph, this um, part with Scarlett says, Scarlett, men listen to naked women. Um, and you're talking about when you meet her, Scarlett was 22 and enrolled at UF. She was studying mechanical and electrical engineering, but still figuring out what she wanted to do with the rest of her life. She's now taking a gap semester to think it over. She moved to Gainesville a couple years ago in pursuit of a boy. When that didn't work out, she started, she started school. She was working long hours as, as a server at Yamato Japanese Steakhouse for insignificant wages, and she needed a job with flexible hours that could pay her bills and tuition. Her sister told her she could be a stripper. Scarlett scoffed at the suggestion at first. So that like that's kind of the precursor that starts to tell the story of Scarlett and how you get to know her and kind of the deeper the deeper conversations that you have with her. But what I like about that is I think for a regular UF student that thinks of Cafe Risque as almost like this mystical place down the road, mm -hmm. you know, hearing someone is enrolled and they're a mechanical and electrical engineering student, but they're still figuring out what they want to do with life. Like that, that sounds like me and all of my friends, you know what I mean? <laughs> like that sounds yeah. like, that sounds like everybody I know at, at UF. That sounds like every 22 year old that I've ever met. So that was another thing that I like about the story is you make, you make these women that work a job that people are either set off by or just like know nothing about you make them feel like they're just like the the person next door right it makes it feel super normal so what was that like to get to normalize those to get to normalize strippers and then also just get to know them on a more personal level yeah well that's that's exactly it graham and that was my my goal from the beginning writing this i mean and and i say this in in the beginning of the story but uh the people who work at the cafe uh, they're all very different you know they're they're phd students they're mothers they're teachers they're you know your next door neighbors um and with this story i wasn't trying to paint the cafe as this perfect wonderful oasis but i also wasn't trying to paint it as this like horrid you know sinful place which is how it has been painted many times you know it wasn't my job to do that but it is every reporter's job to paint everyone they speak to as human just people who are like you or me um, and that's all I wanted to do is portray the real lives of these people who happen to work at a place with, you know, a lot of mysticism surrounding it. And part of the story also was that was, like you said, um, you felt like you were there with me is, um, you know, I was nervous because I had the, the weight of this untold story that I wanted to tell 
you know, hanging with me. Like, you know, this story has never really been told in depth by anyone. Um, but, but I want to be the one to do it. And, uh, I think any reporter who isn't scared by that prospect, um, shouldn't be reporting. <laughs> so I, yeah, part of it was, uh, taking people inside a place that, um, maybe a lot of people are curious about and showing them what it's really like. And the other part was just, um, showing the true lives of the people who work at Cafe Risque um, and who they are as people. So that said, um, take me into Scarlet herself a little more. Um, for those that haven't read the story, um, you obviously go into pretty deep detail about who Scarlet is, how she became a stripper, how she got into working at Cafe Risque, um, and her whole story but kind of give me the synopsis of that and who you really started to find out Scarlett is as a person. Yeah, so uh, I say this in the story, but Scarlett has sort of um, uh, a unique story. She grew up in San Francisco um, and just moved here on a whim. And, um, you know, she was working at a Japanese steakhouse and she was like, man... You know, I, I need a job that has more flexible hours and can pay my bills and tuition. And like you said, her, her sister was like, you know, why don't you be a stripper? You love to dance. You're a great people person. Um, you, you know, that could be the job for you. And she, she said she, you know, laughed at it at first, but then she started seriously considering it and she, uh, she went and interviewed at the cafe and everything she told me was that it you know was the best career move she made at this age because she said she you know traveled to Europe alone all on her own dime from what she made at the cafe and she has the flexible hours that she needed uh, when she was enrolled um, to do her school work and stuff so I think uh, often, the, the the job is painted as a last resort, and I'm not going to say that it isn't that for some people, but also for some people like Scarlett, it's you know it was a good move for for them at the time and for what they wanted to do in life and you know the flexibility of how they wanted to live. So I, I think her story shows um, a, a different side. Uh, of the job that a lot of people don't see. And it, and it shows like using, using a talent that you have to help you monetize, right? J just like anybody else wants to do in their career. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, and, and I mean, we're not talking like something you're in a major in, but like, like with her doing engineering, but like even someone who's a bartender, People who become bartenders all the time will tell you that, yeah, you know, my friend told me that I was a good conversationalist, so mm -hmm. I got into bartending or I got into serving or I got into customer service or something like that. So it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm attractive and I'm a good dancer, so let's try it. And not that that's all that goes into stripping, but you, you get what I'm saying. Um, yeah, so, definitely. And so, one of the, the criticisms or not criticism, but an argument is like, yeah, that's great, but why 
why is that the skill that is so easily um, commodified for women at that age? Um, and I, I, I see that argument, um, but I think, I think there's a lot more to it. And if, if someone can make a decent living with the hours they want doing that, then, you know, that's, that's their life. <laughs> right. And, and just like any, just like anybody, if you have bills to pay and tuition to pay, you don't have time to ask why. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You just got to go make the money. You know what I mean? So, um, so that said, let's continue with Carter. Um, you talk about in the story how, and you, you just mentioned how, um, Scarlett is from San Francisco, had kind of a long journey here, but Carter's from right up the road. Um, she's not far away. Um, and then also another interesting part that I noticed about Carter was that she is married. Um, and has a daughter uh how kind of take me into that um i need an interview her husband but did you get any vibe of maybe what he thinks about it um her daughter's only four so it's not like her daughter's gonna have some deep strong opinions on it but like mm-hmm. what like what is that dynamic like being a stripper but also having a family because the normal person on the surface is not gonna assume that a stripper has a family a normal yeah. person, they're definitely going to assume that that is a single woman, which that's not right or wrong, but that's definitely going to be the the assumption. And I think that's a big reason that you probably, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would assume that's probably a reason that you liked interviewing Carter is because it, it is a little bit of a different perspective. Yeah. I mean, everyone I interviewed had something a little bit different about them or a little bit different about the perceptions of dancers and that's what I loved about their stories and I think I'd get that from anybody that I interviewed in there you know no no one is entirely one stereotype you know people are well they're different people you know they have different stories and um yeah from what I recall talking with her is it's something that doesn't really um affect her relationship um you know he he understands that it's just her job, um, just the way that she makes money. And um, from what I hear, it's uh, it's not, you know, that shouldn't be ignored. That's not always the norm, you know. Uh, like I heard from Scarlett that it's it's very hard to, to date as a dancer and to find someone who understands that about you and respects that. Um, and she said she's been in relationships before that, you know, they started and they were like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. But it, it soured and the, the jealousy kind of just kept breeding. So I, I think, uh, yeah, her relationship is, is special and beautiful. And, um, you know, I, I maybe could have talked about that a bit more, but I thought that the greatest thing about her story was that she was you know, a business owner, a businesswoman, an entrepreneur, a mother, and and a wife, and these were all all parts of her life, and none of them were bigger than the other. Absolutely, and her work at the cafe gets to fund a lot of those other things that she wants mm-hmm. to do in life, and it's like, well, without that, I might not get to go be an entrepreneur. Yeah, I might not get to follow my bigger dreams, and it's praised when somebody 
buses tables for three years to start their business but stripping doesn't get that same love um yeah but i think through through this story you get to really see somebody that that does truly work for it and earn it um but to continue um with another person that you do kind of dive a little more into in the story is her is someone else who might have have an issue another male in somebody's life that might have an issue with uh stripping is her dad um and you kind of talk about how it's it's unclear kind of not sure he's he's probably suspicious of something that she may do but doesn't entirely know that it's stripping um but you do talk about how he hands her a hoodie that has a gun in it pretty mm-hmm. much with the with the unsaid communication of i'm not exactly sure what you're up to but you may need this be safe um yeah. and you know Handing someone a revolver inside of a hoodie is pretty authentically Central Florida as well. Uh, but um, but go ahead and tell me a little bit about that and tell me about Carter telling you about that and uh, what it was like writing that and what that sort of took you to in the story. Yeah, it, it was really interesting hearing her her family dynamics and hearing her explain you know, her thoughts on whether they know or not, or, you know, if they have their their suspicions. Um, As I said in the story, her mom knows because she found a pair of her heels in the back of her car. And, you know, Carter burst into tears because um, she, she started dancing when she was 18 and she was living with her mom and the jobs they had between them just weren't cutting it. So, she she wanted to help her mom out in that way, so I, I know it's probably um, like like a lot of emotions for her, you know, wanting wanting to take care of her and her mom, but uh, not not wanting to disappoint her or anything. But yeah, it, it was it was really interesting hearing her talk about that moment, and she was like, you know, I I still have that revolver, um, and I I think I think a lot of people. And, you know, can't relate exactly to their dad handing them a gun, but, you know, their parents may be being suspicious about them doing something. And, you know, you, you don't think your parents know, but they give you subtle hints that like, I know you're up to something. I'm not sure what it is, but, you know, I love you and I care about you and I, I want you to be safe. So um, I, I thought that anecdote was, was telling and very interesting. Absolutely. So, she was the last dancer that you talked to. So I kind of want to get more of an overall perspective from you. Um, we, we've kind of talked about, you know, what the story in itself is about. Generally, we've talked about these specific dancers. We talked about Cherry. Tell me from your perspective as a writer, did you come in with certain thoughts or a plan of how you were, you were going to write this story and then you let your interviews change it? Was it kind of exactly what you expected? Was it nothing like what you expected? What was your experience like? Like in some ways, it it completely was different from my expectations, and in other ways, it was it was just the same. I mean, like I said, my my one primary goal telling the story was just to show these human beings and how they make a living and what their lives are like. 
um, and to, you know, to, to challenge um, the reason why some people find these people in these industry um, inferior. Why, you know, why do we view people in this line of work that way? Um, what, what, what is it there that's keeping us from, from empathizing and just seeing them as someone working to feed their family like anybody else? Uh, that, that was my goal. And I, I thought the best way to do that was just to tell their stories. Um, and like you said, see that they're just like anyone else in your friend group or anyone, you know, so I, I hope I hope that comes across and I hope I reach that goal. Um, but yeah, that's all I had to say. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're good. Um, so, so kind of, kind of the last few thoughts to wrap up here. Um, you know, something that I'll say, uh, not to, you know, totally get into a dialogue about it because the, the story lets people decide for themselves. But, um, I would say one one thing that may keep people from empathizing is the just the lack of knowledge, right? Because we all know we like we all have friends who are servers. We all have friends who work at a grocery store. But we don't all know strippers. So right. just or the you lack don't know a stripper. What's up? Or you don't know that you know a stripper. Right. True. True. That, that is true. Um, because it is a big safety concern as we've already talked about. Um, so like that might be a big reason is just the lack of knowledge and the lack of experience, which the reason that I brought that up is because I think that this story does a great job of breaking that barrier and jumping over that hurdle. Um, because like I said, when we started this, reading this story, I feel like I am next to you in the cafe. I've never been there. And I feel like I, I know exactly what it's like. I feel like I know it like the back of my hand, <laughs> just reading the story. So that kind of allows anybody who reads it to sort of get it for the first time, maybe even without physically being there. Um, and then I love the style. Um, because actually before I started reading this story i didn't know that it was going to be from your personal perspective again going back to where we started with this beginning the story with pulling up in your 2011 camry next to a bunch of pickup trucks and walking inside and people giving you weird looks because you're a girl that's there but you're not working there so it's like that whole dynamic makes it super interesting and i think tells a story in and of itself um, and then obviously you get everybody, it, it's really well done. Um, and I think it does a really good job of, of painting the whole picture that I, that I think you were trying to tell. So that said, uh, is there anything more that maybe we have not talked about that you would like to add or to say, or just to talk about with your reporting on it? Um, any kind of final thoughts? Yeah, as we're talking, I thought about this, um, and I'd like to note that um, I, I know that that dancers use different terms to refer to their work, whether that be stripper or exotic dancer or just dancer. I, I heard uh, different terms from each woman, and I tried to roughly 
align that with their stories using um, the terms that they prefer to refer to themselves. Um, so if, if any of the terms that I use are, are offensive to somebody, I, I apologize. I just tried to use the language, reflect the language that um, the people I interviewed used to refer to themselves um, to be as respectful as possible. But I also wanted to note that um, the story didn't start as something reported from my perspective. It did just start as my raw reporting presented. Um, but I, I worked with this uh, on this story with Professor Moni Basu in the college, um, my mentor. And after a few drafts of just the raw reporting, she was like, there's something's not coming out. Like you, the, the story's there, but I, I can tell you're holding back and I don't know why. Um, so she sort of had the, um, the, the sight to see that, that, um, they were telling it from a first person, uh, gave me the, the freedom and the control to write about my own experiences as I lived them and marry them with the experiences of the women I spoke to. So sometimes reporting is like that. It sort of grows and evolves and, um, you, you have to unlock parts of your brain that you, you can't with one style of reporting. So, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I know that very well as a sports reporter. You go into a lot of games thinking that games are going to go one way and then it goes a completely different way. And then you're like, well, you know, everything I've written in the last two hours is now. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> um, but uh, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, as far as that, I think that's super interesting. Um, to kind of learn how the story evolved, because again, uh, we've kind of hinted at it. How long exactly did it take you to write this story? Like, when did you first start reporting? Let, let's just say, when did you first go to the cafe? Oh, man, I know, I know it's probably, we've been saying a year, but it's probably a little bit over a year. Cause I think I actually scrolled back way back in my emails to the first email I ever sent to Cherry. And I think that was in like February of last year. So uh, yeah, it, it's been a while. So um, email number one sent February, 2019 story right. published May, 2020. Right. Wow. So a little bit over a year, but you know, let, let's say excluding the time that I was not, allowed access that makes for a year roughly <laughs> yeah, yeah that's probably fair well all right uh once again we really appreciate you coming on Peyton and telling us about uh this story it's currently the front page of the alligator in the print version and then it's also on twitter at the alligator as well as at alligator.org um Peyton go ahead and tell us one more time where you can be found where your stories can be found um all that sort of fun stuff yeah, so my Twitter at is at Peyton, P-E-Y-T-O-N-M as in Mary, W-H-I-T-T, at Peyton M. Witt. My Instagram is at Peyton.Whittington, and you can read some of my stories and see some of my other multimedia work at PeytonWhittington.com. Uh, if you'd like, while we have you on, do you have any kind of future stories that you're working on, anything that you want to go ahead and plug? Um, 
right now, I will probably be posting some blog stories for um, Rowdy Magazine, which is another uh, local publication in Gainesville on style, uh, beauty, and culture. Uh, we just started our uh, online blog component, so I <laughs> I have a story about turning 21 in quarantine that's going to be going up um after my birthday on May 29th. Um, so on May 30th, which I believe is a Saturday, I'll be writing about that. <laughs> Got you. Well, um, well, once again, we really appreciate you coming on and we appreciate everybody listening. Once again, you can find this story at alligator.org. Um, and we have tweeted about it multiple times on Twitter at the alligator. Once again, I am your host, Graham Marsh, and we will see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Alligator Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and follow us on Twitter at The Alligator, as well as find all of our latest stories at alligator.org. Alligator.org.